We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 195. Scott, how's your offseason going? It's relatively uh, relatively quiet, I'd say. I, I've been watching a little bit of baseball. I'm not going to say I was, I'm completely into the World Series and watching every minute of that game, but if it's on and I remember that it's on, I will, I will put it on uh, on television to watch. But other than that, I'm trying to catch up on some new shows. I'm trying to... Um, I have a really horrible new addiction that I need to get past, which is... Uh, Effectively ruining part of my life, um, but do tell but not much. Q-tips. I don't know if you're a Q-tip guy. Are you a Q- are you a Q-tip guy? I dabble. Okay, so I'm not usually a big Q-tip person. I haven't been, but recently I have been using a Q-tip, and I have been getting almost like addicted to the Q-tip, where where I continue to have to use this Q-tip. Like I feel like my ear starts itching. I'm like, damn, I need a Q-tip, and then I do it, and I take it too far. I'm like a like a little like a child. Where I'm like yeah. doing things too much, and and I've become literally like addicted to using a Q-tip and like getting anything possible out of my ear, and then I feel like it's something and it's really nothing. Now I feel like I'm playing mind games with myself. Mm-hmm. It's a problem. So, <clears throat> lazy ladies and gentlemen, as you're listening to this, we are listening to a madman. Yep. We are listening to somebody who's had no sleep for over a month, ever since his son was born. 
plus all of the Yankees in the playoffs. And I think you're just going crazy. I think that's what what you just told me. No, it's possible. I might be trying to, I think I'm digging for something that's not there. <laughs> and uh, it just keeps coming. Yeah, it's, it's because of the problem because then my ears start hurting. And I'm like, what right, am I, yeah, maybe what am I doing? doing that. Why am I doing this? And then I, and then I go right back to the Q-tip. Q, Q-tip talk on off-season podcast number two of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Just uh, what everybody expected after the Yankees decided to move on from Joe Girardi. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's basically what it comes down to. And now that I have so much free time on my hands, not that it's free time, but now it's time not watching the Yankees, um, I have to find other things. And apparently I start using my brain too much, and then I start thinking about things, and that's when the Q-tips start coming out. So It's funny you mentioned that you're, sort, you're not really into the World Series. And last season, when it was Cubs versus the Indians, I was glued to every single game. I watched them every night start to finish and this year i could give a crap less about the world series i'll put it on because it's on tv but if i only catch innings two through four i'm fine with that i don't need and i know game two was like a historic game that that game is going to be talked about until the end of time because there were five home runs hit after the eighth inning or whatever it was the ball was flying out of dodger stadium so that game was that was probably the one game that i had seen the most of and and I can thank my son for that one because he was up late and just was not eating well. So I was awake and watching the end of that game. That was really the only reason I was sitting there watching. And uh, it was, I'm glad I did because it was pretty fun to watch. The, the reaction, what do you think about the reaction of the kid who, um, I don't even know their names, but I, this is the, th- the other thing. Is like I'm so, I've been so focused and I'm, I'm sure you're in the same boat and maybe a lot of people listening. So focused on the New York Yankees because there's been so much new, so many new things happening this year and then Girardi and like all these things compounding that I've lost my attention span for other teams. And honestly, mm-hmm. the National League might as well not exist until I get to the yep. World Series unless the Yankees are in there. Um, but yeah, there's that kid, whoever, who hit the home run down to and acting like he won the World Series with the home run. That was an interesting celebration. He probably popped champagne in the dugout, too. Maybe the gold bottle of champagne. Yeah, we, we uh, complained about the Yankees popping champagne every time they advanced a different round of the playoffs. This, guy, this guy's just uh, celebrating like it, he just won the, won the World Series in Game 2. It was fine. It was a huge home run at home. That's fine. But weren't there two outs down, still down a run? It was just weird. I think he might have the, the, like, the mini bottles sensed. of champagne in the dugout. Maybe he sensed something great was going to happen. Well, yeah, he sensed wrong. It wasn't. It was a little, <laughs> a little premature celebration. I think it's also because you and I were pretty burnt out after the Yankees run. It burnt yeah. out in a good way because we were so he- you're so heavily invested. When your team is in the playoffs, it's all you care about from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. It's all I could think about the entire month of October is who was pitching the next night. How are they going to get uh, 27 outs? What was Judge and Sanchez going to do? It's all I could literally think about. For the 20-something days the Yankees were in the postseason. Yeah, October gave me a lot of anxiety when it came to Yankees baseball because, I mean, you know, towards the end of it when we were playing and the, we, nobody really thought the Yankees were going to be, uh, you know, getting out of the ALDS. Um, and then they went into the championship game, obviously. It was just a lot of anxiety and a lot of emotional stress. And I think that's right. I mean, we did a show after every single game. So that one, all of those things added up to me like needing to take a break from baseball for a little bit as far as mm-hmm. like watching every single inning of the World Series. Whereas last year, like you said, but also last year there was the Cubs thing. There was the Cubs element of it too, which I thought there were a lot more storylines that were better. And like one of those teams is going to end a big drought. Well, this the now the storyline is that the Astros have never won a World Series since they became a team and the Dodgers haven't won since the late 80s. So those are two, two sort of drought. I guess the late eighties. You care about that? I don't care about the Astros not winning. I feel like the Astros. (laughs) That doesn't. I really could care less about that. 
Do you um, do you hate the Astros though? Because do you want to see them lose? Because they're 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 kind of first of all they celebrate a lot, and then you got the whole Guriel thing doing the slant eyes because of you Darvish being a total dickhead. So they're kind of getting some negative press that they're kind of jackasses. Yeah, I don't know. And they're also doing the they've been mocking the Yankees thumbs down thing, like George Springer on second base doing oh, a yeah. thumbs up. They're, it's 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 complete. A lot of pictures sh- after they beat the Yankees in the ALCS. Yeah, McCullers in the in the in the locker room. Yeah, those are all shots at the Yankees. Even now in the World Series, they're they're throwing shots at the Yankees. So I will remember that. Uh, well, I get it. I get it. While they're playing the Yankees, the, but why are you doing time, it in the World Series? No, I agree. Every time they got on, every time the Yankees got on base, they were doing the thumbs down. I'm sure it pissed them off, which is fine. If you whatever you need to do to muster up hate to beat your opponent, I get. But yeah, move on once you beat that team. The Dodgers aren't doing anything like that. No, but um, so I, I mean, I don't necessarily hate them yet, N- not in the, not as a, a general team, but um, I don't want them to win. I want the Dodgers to win. That's that's a hundred percent. I definitely want the Dodgers to win. Yeah, the the lovable underdog Dodgers who spent the most money ever this season. Yeah, people think that it's always the Yankees spending the most money, but the Dodgers are still paying Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford all that money. The funny thing is, is though, but the majority of the the guys in their team are super young that are not getting right. paid the most. That's why people think that they're not that sort of team because they've got Seager and Peterson and all these young kids who are making close to league minimum because they just got called up, but they they have all this other money spread around the league and spread around players that aren't even playing anymore yeah old guys like chase utley with his white hair i mean he's there there you, you look at like who the actual players are and how much they're making it's probably probably pretty damn low considering chase utley, chase utley looks like the drunk uncle that i never had yeah you wish you had that drunk uncle though because those yes, uncles I are do. fun yeah i do yes yeah. <laughs> well you can watch chase we've utley, got then. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. More, if you guys didn't listen to the podcast that we bro- that we uh, did after the breaking news that Joe Girardi was not coming back as Yankee manager, go check it out. It was released on Friday. Um, it was an unplanned episode. We will be doing episodes every Monday, but if breaking news happens, we will do it like the Joe Girardi stuff. Uh, a couple other items came out on Girardi, but before we get to that, Scott, we want to just sort of start laying some groundwork for some event plans for next season. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the events. Uh, we obviously did two of them this year. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you heard about our June 10th event. Then we did a September 30th event. Both had really good showings. We had an awesome time. People uh, seemed to really enjoy it. Um, the Yankees really liked seeing what we had going on out at the stadium too. So we are uh, we're, we're doubling down on this. This has kind of been a um, a long term plan of mine. Something that I've wanted to do for a long time with Bronx Pinstripes, and it's kind of it's coming to fruition now. And I think a lot of people are really enjoying it. But it's it's really that community aspect. And I know a lot of people that listen to the show uh, have come to the events, uh, which is a really great way for all of us to kind of hang out and, and meet some of you guys and just talk more baseball uh, on in person as well. But we're going to be doing at least six events next year. And uh, I had a meeting with the Yankees last week and just talking about how they really like what we're doing, basically giving us first dibs in sections 205 and 206 to the games we want. Um, so the Yankee schedule has come out, but the times are not, they're all TBD. If you look at the schedule right now. So we have some event, uh, some, some dates that are kind of circled, but it's going to be pretty close to doing one a month. Um, and then the majority of them will have, you know, a full event around it, whether it's a pregame, um, uh, maybe a postgame, maybe we'll mix it up here and there. Maybe we'll do one at the stadium, um, more t-shirts for every event, things like that. So, um, just kind of laying the groundwork for a lot of that. And, and you know, we're building this community of uh, we, the, the, the Bronx Pinstripes crew going to the games. It's been a lot of fun. Andrew and I know have, have had a blast meeting everybody. Um, 
a lot of the Bronx Pinstripes writers are, are at these events too. So it's just a really fun way for for more of us to to kind of meet and um, get to know more Yankees fans and kind of build this community of of, uh, of Yankee fans that we that we really enjoy going to the games with. So that's what we're doing. So look look out for these uh, these events. We're planning them now. We're we're, we're just making all of the uh, getting all the details together, and I will most likely be selling individual games, obviously. But I'm going to put some kind of a package together too for the season of uh, of the games because I know people buy the um, when the individual ticket sales go out they'll they'll look at certain games so definitely consider this before you do that we should have everything out um, by the by the new year so uh, they're going to give us most likely between five hundred and a thousand seats per game so it's a lot we could get <laughs> as many as we want which is it's, which is uh, awesome. We're- we're getting into a, a good majority of those right field seats at that point. Yeah, no doubt. And the the beauty of it, last year we kind of decided to do this on a whim. It was in the middle of the it was as the year had started already. So a lot of tickets had already been sold. This year we're getting a much bigger start. So we're going to have very densely populated areas of those sections. So we're not going to be we've been kind of scattered, which was a, one of the the downsides on my that I, that I thought. Um, but unfortunately, it just it was the way it worked out because of what was available at the time. But now, now we have um, you know a, a solid amount of seats together. So it's going to be everybody's going to be sitting together in one block. It's going to be all the rows together. So I'm really excited about that because that makes a huge difference to me. You know, when you're when you're, you're able to get a whole uh, cheer going as a section, or you're able to everybody's wearing the same T-shirt and you can see it from out the uh, you know from different parts of the stadium. So yeah, that's um something I'm very excited about and just another uh, another step that we're taking with Bronx Pinstripes into uh, 2018. It's going to be awesome and we'll talk about it between now and the regular season. So don't feel like you guys are missing out. All the details will be here on social media, on our website as well. So so you guys won't miss it. So Girardi, so when, I, when we last recorded the podcast and the Yankees were moving on from Joe Girardi, we talked about this, this rift or this tension between Cashman and Girardi as being one of the main reasons why the Yankees decided to move on. And one bit of news that came out over the last few days is that one of the sticking points between them this season was Chris Carter, which I just find to be beautiful irony because how long did you and I talk about Chris Carter and what a terrible baseball player he was and how he didn't make sense for this team and that not only did he suck in the field, but he sucked at the plate and he was sucking the life out of the team and out of me and out of you and we freaking hated the guy. Couldn't keep his eyes open at the plate. Come to find out, Joe Girardi felt the same way. Did not want him in the lineup. Did not want him on the roster. Cashman was pushing for him for whatever reason. Maybe Cashman was trying to save face. He signed him to that $3.5 million contract and felt like he needed to have him playing to justify the signing. I don't know what the reason is. I'm speculating. But all we know is that was one of the main issues they disagreed on this season. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous that that was one of the issues. Um, But... It's probably one of the ones that just ignited more of the fire, you know, because and Girardi's looking in baseball terms at this guy and you're like, this guy is not a major league baseball player. He literally does things with his eyes closed. Can't have him on the team. We have to have better options because anything is a better option at first base than having this guy on the team. I think that maybe Cashman early on was trying to just like, okay, just keep it going because if he if he does hit the home run, he'll he'll show some level of production. The problem is that Chris Carter, you know, what he had done in the past, like the one good thing that he had done in the past was hit a home run ball. He did not do that on the Yankees, which rendered him useless, completely useless, except for mock, being mocked on Twitter endlessly. And I don't know why, you know, I, I think at that point, 
there was probably a lot of frustration also with Bird not being there because, you know, he wasn't supposed to be the the everyday first baseman. He was supposed to be there as a a potential DH every once in a while and a backup first baseman. That was his role. But because of injuries, because uh, uh, one Austin uh, or Tyler Austin can never stay healthy. That that guy has a problem staying on the field. Bird but he came back for Tyler Austin came back for two days and yeah. then got injured. Yeah, he's, I mean that that's been his pro. That's been the the narrative of his career so far is he cannot stay healthy. Uh, and then Bird, obviously, we know the the frustration with the injury with him. Nobody even knew what was wrong with him, but he couldn't stay on the field. And when he was on the field, he was terrible. Turns out he was hurt that entire time with a mysterious bone in his foot, which is weird. But Chris Carter was the guy, and uh, and just Girardi just obviously couldn't accept it. I mean, I don't to blame Girardi's him. credit. Girardi's credit. He gave him opportunities in April and May, and then after two months of playing, he realized it's not working. The team was in contention into June, and he's saying we've got to find better options. Please, I gave him two months, and he sucks. Let, let's move on from this experiment. Is how I imagine the conversation going. It's the funny thing is, is though when you when you look at what happened after this, like towards the end of the Chris Carter era, it's not like they went out and really got somebody big to, to do anything. They really just patchworked it all the way through. It wasn't well, like, it wasn't it, like there wasn't the deadline at the deadline. They traded for Todd Frazier, which allowed him to move Headley over to first. Well, base. right. But that was, but that was after that Chris Carter was gone. I mean, they just right, kind of patchworked had, it. He man Choi, they had a uh, G man Choi, yeah. Gary, Gary Cooper, Garrett Cooper, or whatever Garrett his name Cooper. is. He came over for, um, <laughs> I forgot about Garrett Cooper. Yeah, wow. for Tyler, uh, the forgot, a forgotten name of the 2017 Yankees. Well, Garrett he's, Cooper. he's still going to be on the Yankees. I mean, this is a guy that's still going to be a triple A, but he's, a. Uh, you know that was the, one of the guys, and then they had Holiday over there for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You know, Ryan it was Mitchell. just it was just a patchwork until Todd Frazier came over, and then Headley said, you know, put his hand up, saying, "Okay, I will go over. I will solve this problem. I am your first baseman." And really, he took care of an issue, which was I am the first problem. baseman now. I am the first baseman now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, it, it really never got solved until Chase Headley said, "Okay, I'll just do something for the team." It reminded me of the scene in Moneyball when. Um, uh, when they were arguing over Tony Pena versus Scott Hatterberg at first base. You remember that scene? Yeah. Yeah, except Chris Carter is, is was just so bad. I don't know how you could ever... How, I don't know how Cashman could argue with a straight face that Chris Carter should be playing. I don't think it had much more to do with the fact that there were no other options. And Joe, you got to play with what you have because that's what we have right now. That's kind of it. And I, I don't think Cashman was going to give up on the power basically because of the money that they paid him. So... But I think it's a, it's sort of a metaphor for a bigger thing, and that it, it's that they were no longer seeing eye to eye on the direction of this team. But you keep saying the direction of this team. I, I don't really get that. I I, I think they they were pretty much in line with the direction of the team, like the the vision of where the team was going to go. But as far as like very like small things, uh, I don't think they were seeing eye to eye on and. I don't think the Cashman just... I don't know. This isn't a small thing. Starting first baseman is not a small thing. No, but it was a lot of it was based on injury. I mean, it was already into the season at that point. There's There wasn't much they could do. There really wasn't. Unless they were going to go out and make a trade and give up guys, which to me was against that vision. And, and I guarantee if you put uh, Girardi's you know, feet to the fire asking if you should go out and trade a bunch of guys for a first baseman right now, he probably wouldn't have said yes. Right, they were talking about uh, from Oakland, Yonder Yond- Yond- Alonso. Alonso. Yeah, yeah, like that. And that me- would have cost you would have overpaid for Yonder Alonso. Ended up giving up a prospect for for a player that ultimately declined in the second yeah, half. Yeah, he had a like bad second half. Thought he would. Yep. So I don't know if there really was a good solution. Honestly, I think injuries kind of screwed that position up. 
And but it's sort of like it's sort of like the, the the whole metaphor I said last time, where it's like you might not know what the better option is, but you know what you're looking at now isn't working. We could look at Chris Carter and tell he was not working. So I don't care what the next option is. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, and they did. And He Man Choi, which, it took a long time. It did it take took a, a really long time. It did. No, it absolutely did. It took it took a long time of, of two eyes and a half closed months. baseball. It, it took uh, how many at bats did Carter have this season? I'm looking that up right now. I just don't know. I just don't know where that solution was because they're they're just they tried. They tried to put uh, Matt Holiday at first base. They tried to do different things. You can only disrupt your team so much by by putting people out of position or bringing people up that aren't ready. There's just there there weren't very many options at that point. It was a it was a very unique situation. At the same time, we needed him gone because, like you said. He was terrible, and anything else at at any point, anything else was better. Anything, I don't care yeah. what you do. Anything. He uh, he played sixty two games and had two hundred and eight plate appearances, and you could tell that he sucked after about ten games. We no, we could tell he sucked the first time we saw him in person in spring training. But at least at least you saw once you saw him in the season. You after uh, two weeks of baseball, you knew that he he sucked. But you're right. We were down in spring training at the end of March, and we were saying, "How is this guy in the major leagues?" Well, because beforehand, all I was defending the uh, the signing because I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the numbers because that's all I've never really seen him play. I'm looking at the numbers, I know he strikes out a lot. I know he in the past he's been uh, an average first baseman. He wasn't marked as a bad first baseman. He was marked as an average first baseman. And then he hit a lot of home runs. And then we knew the average was going to be very low. And he's going to strike out a ton. But when I saw him in person, when I saw him in person, I was like, this person does not deserve to play baseball in the major leagues. How did you possibly get to this far? By it's, by doing it's what you're true, doing, under, I don't get it. It's a true underdog story. It really is. It's amazing. I, yeah, I guess it I is a miracle. I hope there's eventually a movie. It won't be a Disney movie or anything like that. Maybe it'll be straight to Netflix. Or I don't even know if it's good enough for Netflix. It's probably a Hulu movie. But the Chris Carter story needs to be told. It might go on on VHS at this point. I mean, it may skip <laughs> DVD, Netflix, and just straight up go old school and go strictly go VHS. streaming on VHS. It's <laughs> streaming, but you can only get it on VHS. It's a. Uh, it's yeah. So it was amazing that when we first saw him in person, I, I'm like, I literally couldn't believe my eyes and how bad of a baseball player he looked when when I'm uh, when I'm seeing funny. Him. Did you did you mean to say that the eyes? No, but that's <laughs> I did not mean to say it. But that's exactly what it is. It's uh, uh, it, he was a baffling player. It's just when I read the 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 news bit that it was Chris Carter, and it just I remember the first two months of this season, you and I yelling into a microphone about how bad Chris Carter is. It was just a lot of a lot of irony. Uh, other news on Joe Girardi, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that the Yankees notified every team around the majors that their entire coaching staff can be interviewed for positions, which obviously leads us to believe they're going to be cleaning house. We sat here a couple days ago saying it doesn't it doesn't make sense to clean house. That's a huge change. You're pulling the rug out from under a team that is on the rise. Why would you do that? Yeah, you want to change the manager. I get that, but... Maybe don't change the entire coaching staff. That's too much change for a team that that really progressed this season. But <laughs> seems like they're going to be doing that. Well, it's it's news that was definitely uh, definitely interesting. But I mean, I think you can look at it a couple different ways too. Is that you know the Yankees and Cashman are saying, okay, well we have some guys on our staff that have potential to be manager. Uh, you have managerial qualities that that some teams may like, and they don't want to hold their guys back. Could have been one of those, and I think that does happen often. In in normal cases, I don't think it makes any news at all. I don't think anybody reports on the fact that the GM says, "Okay, you can interview any of our guys." 
Um, you hear about in football all the time, but now because of the the speculation of who the next guy is, then obviously it's making a lot more news. But it could be just you know the fact that they're just not going to hold anybody back from making their own decision because they don't know who the manager is, and it may change the mind of the of the coach as well. So it, it could be well, one of those moves. Here's why I think it's interesting, because we said that we think it'll be in-house, a guy like Al Padrique or Rob Thompson or, or somebody like that. And we also said that Cashman probably knows who he has as a front runner for the position, right? Right. So if he knows it's going to be in-house, then he can say, well, that guy's not going to want a clean house, nor would we want him to. We want it to sort of maintain this inner nucleus of these of this coaching staff that worked well with these players this season. They, sure, they had their ups and downs, but ultimately they got to the ALCS, so they can work with this set of players so we don't want a clean house unless maybe Cashman is thinking my guy is outside of the organization and he wants to clean house when he gets here it could be I mean we can't get into the mind of Brian Cashman right now because that thing is freaking guarded he's operating on a whole other level that we do not see right now. yeah he's in the matrix I don't know (laughs) he sees levels uh that are that are beyond our universe but I mean that could be it I mean there was another rumor about Jerry Hairston Jr. being uh being one of the guys, the utility player from 2009 is gonna. It's gonna be. Yeah, he the was a manager. he was a hot prospect with the Orioles way back in the day, and he bounced yeah, around. In to 1978, a bunch of, he was a prospect. But he's in the he's you know when you when you think of Jerry Harrison Jr. and Alex Cora, they're like okay, that's the same guy. And then you're looking around at these other um, like Dave Roberts was was a guy that was you know platooned in the outfield, and I don't know just just the what do you think of. Well, quick aside, what'd you think of Dave Roberts pulling Rich Hill after four innings in a World Series game in which he was cruising? It's interesting because I don't think he normally goes more than five, right? I think that's pretty much where he where he lives. Oh, it anyway. was totally by the book. He was following the book that that's yeah. what they wanted to get out of Rich Hill. But you and I have sat on this podcast saying that Joe Girardi sometimes is too much by the book, doesn't use what is in front of him. He might pull Sabathia or pull one of these pitchers that's cruising when he could get another inning or two innings out of him and and. I mean, Dave Roberts ran out of pitching in that game. How do you run out of How do you run out of pitching in a World Series game? No, I mean that stuff drives me insane. That's why, that's why I really hope that we don't get an all analytic guy and, and it just goes by a book. You well, got to see. I, I got to have the a way that. Yeah, I think that's the way that that Cashman is is moving. I think that is what he wants a by the book analytics guy. The numbers tell me I'm pulling Rich Hill or CC Sabathia or insert pitcher name after 91 pitches because at 92 pitches he's no longer effective. Why do you think that? Because Girardi is that guy. Girardi is that guy. That's exactly what Girardi does. Girardi does that to a freaking T and drives people nuts because he's so by the book. I, I don't really understand why you you think that that's exactly what Cash, I don't. Everybody's because been I don't talking about Gir- analytics and, and why Cashman's only going to these analytic guys. I, I don't actually believe that because I think Girardi is the guy that is has things predetermined all the time. But they were and Girardi's it, analytics. It doesn't matter. What's the difference? Yes, it does matter because... Girardi was, was, yes, you're right, he was Binder Joe, but he was not the clubhouse manager they wanted. They want somebody who can manage personalities and then process information given to him by Cashman and Cashman's team that says, you need to pull a pitcher out after X number of pitches and then go and execute that and communicate it to the players. Well, that's Joe exactly what Girardi do- was doing, minus the, no, po- he wasn't minus, doing minus minus the relationship. Okay, right, but they don't. They want somebody who will follow orders and manage a clubhouse, sort of be the bearer of bad news, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, Sit down, Sonny Gray, and tell him, look, we have 
a spreadsheet longer than you can imagine that tells us that after 90 pitches, you need to be pulled out of this game. And that's what I'm going to do. You can bitch to me all you want, but anytime you're, you're hitting that 90 pitch mark, no, you're coming out of this game. I'm just using Sonny Gray as an example. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't get any indication that that's exactly what he's looking for. I, I really don't. I, I don't understand why there's a, a ton of people speculating towards that. One, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. One, because where is that said? Where has Brian Cashman ever said anything like that? I don't remember things like that coming out of his mouth. I, what I think he's looking for is more of a, is yes, I think he's looking for a guy that is going to be a more relatable uh, player manager. That's, that's, I think the biggest thing, one that he has a good relationship that he can work with and have an open communication and, and, and have a, a good open door policy so that they can go back and forth. And that Cashman's influence will be a little bit more because of that relationship. That's what I think. I don't think it's going to be this big numbers driven signing because you have to do this and that at, at a certain time. I think that will all go into it. I still think the biggest thing is the relationships and and getting these guys to to do what they say the way that you want them to do it because you have a relationship with them and that goes into what you're saying but I just don't think it's this 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 hard-lined analytical signing that everybody there's a lot of people talking about I don't think Cashman wants somebody who's managing with his gut. I, th- I think he wants him managing with a lot of background information, a background the, the, data that he can uh, apply on the field uh, to on-field decisions, whether that's to lineup decisions, pitching changes, bullpen management, whatever it may be. I just that's Joe Girardi. I don't. I don't. I don't. That's Joe Girardi. That is exactly. Yeah, but Joe, what Joe Girardi had is. that, but he didn't have like we just said. He didn't have the communication aspect. So, so some of them. I mean, some people liked him. Some people actually did have a good relationship. Course, I think overall. Course. That they're looking for somebody just a little bit more. Look, here's the here's the problem I have with this. People are going too much by by talking about the numbers thing and like and, and making making calls on what guys are because of the numbers. There are still guys out there making decisions based on numbers and gut feel. Look what look what Hinch just did. Um, what was it? Game? I don't even know what the hell game it is. A couple of games ago with Peacock when he was in and pitched. Um, I think he went out two innings and then he sent him out for a third because he saw that he was freaking lights out. And it, it, he rewarded him because Brad Peacock was pitching that well. Every number in the book says, pull this guy. There's no reason he should still be in the game. But what A.J. Hinch used was his eyes. And he saw that this guy was rolling, that he had a good groove, and that these guys were not touching him. So they kept him in the game. If you don't have a manager that can look at that and see that on the field and make a decision based on that, then what in the God's name is the point of that guy? There's no point in having a manager at the helm if you can't make a decision based on intuition, feel for a game, and then also have the analytics in the back of his head to make a good decision. I just don't get that. I don't get why everybody's like, analytics, analytics, analytics. If you don't have a good blend and you're a good baseball guy, you're worthless to me. Yes, yeah, I agree. But I think part of the whole um, managing with your gut thing or managing with what you're seeing on the field is knowing the players' personalities. And maybe Girardi didn't know them enough as people to make an informed decision with his gut. If, if anything I just said make, made sense. Yeah, you understand I mean, what I'm saying? That could be. Where he needs to read the, he needs to know how a player reacts at, after adversity or whatever it may be. And if he doesn't have that sort of next level connection with these players, then he can't manage with his gut because he doesn't really, his gut isn't telling him anything. 
So all he's doing is referring to page seven of the binder that says I need to bring in Tommy Canely here because this is because I just read it. Yeah, I, I get that. But that's kind of what you're saying when you're saying your, your example is Sonny Gray, 90 limit, 90 pitches. This is where you are. But what if Sonny Gray is dealing on that day and you can see that he isn't like then then you're then the whole reason you brought that manager in to, to follow your orders is is completely out the window if he thinks that Sonny Gray can continue at that point. It's, mm-hmm. To me, that shit doesn't make sense. I just don't get it. You have to have a blend. Because look what happened with Dave Roberts. It blew up in his face when he pulled Rich Hill. He ran out of pitching, like you said. Something that, yeah. that could have been done by using your, your eyeballs and just saying, okay, I'm going to go. And maybe it was just a bad decision on his part. Maybe he saw some tiring things. I don't know. There could have been no, a number it was, of things. It was, it was one of those things, and it's happened multiple times this season. At least that's what I read with the Dodgers where Rich Hill is pulled after four or five innings because he does not go farther than that. He doesn't face lineups for a third time. Yeah, and I mean, that's similar to what we had with CeCe for a while. It was, Very similar. Yeah, he was he was a five-inning guy at most, and, and that third time around, you saw big drop-offs uh, of his. And you were um, happy. You were happy if Sabathia gave you five good innings. But but to me that's not like those are that's that's using data but that's also using the trend of of how a guy is and and kind of where his limitation is. Um, right, it's he's old. He's an older pitcher. It's yeah. where his career is. So look, I still think that there has to be a blend. But I, and I'm not saying that Girardi like they're looking for a guy like um, they they are looking for a better relationship because I do believe that that goes into it. Knowing your players, having good relationships with them, you can see signs of of fatigue better. You could probably pick up on some of their cues. On if they say something to you, like maybe that guy doesn't really. When he said that to me, I don't really believe him. And and pulling him down, like they're absolutely the relationship is important for for uh, a manager to make those decisions. But they got to have both. They got to have that feel. They're the 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 um the thing that the, the new trend of this analytic only driven game is to me complete nonsense. It's not going to last. It's something that you have to use. But unless you're a baseball guy. <laughs> You don't know some of that stuff. It's Ooh, get off my lawn. Scott's coming out. No, I I think it has to be a blend of both. I like I think the game has progressed, and I think the game is transcending into a new level of using the analytics and all that. But you have yeah. to have both. I think we're at a point where we have so much information available because of technology that now it's just figuring out what information to actually apply on the field. Right, because it could get you in trouble. You if can't you apply all of it. You can't apply all of it. I don't think it's possible. I think it's it's overkill. I totally agree. And then you might as well, you're basically being a robotic manager at that point. But you agree some of it is is beneficial. Oh, I, I think a lot of it is beneficial. I, I'm not against the numbers. I think there's a lot of a lot of the numbers are extremely beneficial. But at the same time, you have to use that and also apply your judgment on, on being having a career long, uh, uh, a career baseball guy. Because all these guys are career baseball guys. They've been watching mm-hmm. and playing baseball their entire life. They know things. You know things that the numbers cannot reflect by watching the game. It's it's uh, indisputable. One of the other reasons I want the World Series just to be over is so the Yankees can actually make this higher. Because this is part of the thing that's killing me, is that the speculation and the unknown of who the next manager of the Yankees is. I'm more worried about who that guy is going to be than what happens in the World Series. Oh, that's definitely my more, my higher on my list. I got to know who this guy is. I Just give me the name. I want to know now. <laughs> So, so we can just Google the shit out of him. Yeah, so we can out find out what about. he does, who who his relationships were or, or with. Who, who he, he dated in high school. Yeah, all, all, what, what does he know? Possibly know about What him. is this guy's, what's on this guy's, uh, the, the bad side? I want to know all that stuff too. <laughs> Another big storyline for this offseason is the luxury tax number and the Yankees getting under $197 million. Cashman has stated all along that their goal, part of this rebuild is, 
is that they need to get under that luxury tax number so they can then restock the team with more free agents because they've never been under it. And all you have to do is get under it once, it resets, and then the Steinbrenners will start spending again and they'll be over it before you can blink an eye. But they first need to get under 197 mil. So we sort of looked up a bunch of numbers, what the Yankees are committed to in 2018. So let's go through some of that stuff. According to baseball reference, the Yankees are committed to $154.4 million for 2018. That is an estimate because that's estimating the eight arbitration cases that the Yankees will be hearing this offseason, eight key players on the team. Um, But that number will go up because you add players to fill out a roster, you add players throughout the season. It's important to note that the final salary number is what you've paid for the entire season so after the season is over in december the commissioner's office notifies every team if they went under um or if they went over yeah it's a huge deal because the whole point is that reset i mean if you can get to that reset and you get under the 197 then you don't have the um the penalty and at that point the yankees can stop wasting money and go out and actually spend money on players rather than giving it back to the the other teams it's a to me this is the perfect year to do it i mean obviously they've they've talked about that this is going to be the case this is what they're they're striving towards and you know when you look up and down the lineup with the amount of uh you know controllable contracts and rookie contracts uh with without the the giant uh the giant uh names on there that are making a ton of money like getting a rod off the books getting some of these guys off the books it seems like they really can actually manage it this year yes uh, A-Rod is off the books. That's huge. Sabathia is a free agent, and his number will come down even if they re-sign him. That's big. Other free agents include Todd Frazier, Jaime Garcia, Matt Holiday, Michael Pineda. So uh, Jaime Garcia is gone. Matt Holiday is gone. Michael Pineda is gone. Todd Frazier is still a question mark. Maybe they'll bring him back. Um, I don't expect him. I mean, Todd Frazier, this is his last contract. So he's going to have to take a hometown discount. And I don't know if he's going to do that. I know he loves the Yankees and he was sort of a cheerleader this entire playoff run. But I don't I don't expect him to just take a discount just because he wants to stay with the Yankees. He's, this is the last contract. If someone's offering him more money, he's probably going to go. How old is he's, uh, what, 30 or 31? He's he's actually younger than than most because he looks like he's 45. <laughs> he, he seems like he's been around a while. And I, I want to say he's like 31. He's a he's a guy that the potential. Yes, poten- he's thirty one. He'll be thirty two at the start of next season. Okay, so a thirty two year old guy that uh, he might have one more contract depending on if he signs for something. He might he might decide that you know this I didn't put up my best numbers. Maybe if I sign a one or two year deal, I can parlay that into another three year deal. You know that could be the thinking. That's happened definitely has happened before with guys who have uh, come off a, a year that's not the greatest as far as going into um, free agency. It's just you got to look at who else is in free agency, what the year looks like, and then the following year, knowing damn well what's coming up, um, you got to make a decision based on that. But I agree with you. Jaime Garcia is 100% gone. Holiday, there's zero reason they bring him back. Pineda, please, God, go away. And then uh, Frazier is interesting well, guy if, to if look Pineda, at. If Pineda does come back, it's going to be, be a minimum change. Yeah, so. it would be nothing. I don't want him, though. I, I, I don't want to deal with that. No, right. I, just I no longer want to deal with that. <laughs> yes. Let, let, let that be stated. I no longer want to deal with that. I don't care let how much Let that money. be somebody else's problem. Please, please, let that be someone else's problem. But we did win the trade. <laughs> yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> Although I have made the argument against that because we had to suffer through Michael Pineda starts. Yeah, At least was... the Mariners didn't have to suffer through Jesus Montero at bats. No, it was the cotton candy guy or the ice cream guy. Who did he get in a fight with? Sandwich, ice cream sandwich yeah. guy. He got in trouble with uh, one of the like the 
he got into a catcher, fight. Bullpen catchers or something. He just threw an ice cream sandwich at him because he called him fat or something like that. Oh, I thought he got into a fight with one of the vendors. <laughs> wasn't that? Did he? Yeah, I think he was one of the guys like doing you know, the cotton candy guys, and or one of the it was an ice cream guy. I feel like there was a shouting match in the stands. I could be completely making this up, but I thought that's how well, it went down. You'll be happy to know if you Google Jesus Montero ice cream sandwich is the first thing that comes up. Perfect. But um, yeah, so this is uh, this is there's not a, a lot of big names, obviously. I think Frazier is an interesting guy to look at just because he he does add flexibility. I mean, he was he was talking so much, just gushing about playing in New York and uh, potentially, you know, even the, the ability that he could move positions and play around. This is a guy that that um, has absolute value. I mean, I think he really does have value in the clubhouse. Um, and, and and then on the field, I mean, he could really play that Matt Holiday role uh, going into next year. It just depends on the contract. <clears throat> it was a scout by the name of <laughs> Butch Bacala. Nice. This story sounds made up. And I know it's not made up, but it sounds made up. <laughs> so he threw um, an ice cream sandwich at a scout that was in the stands? Yeah, because the scout was, was criticizing him. <laughs> Oh, man. Poor Jesus Montero. We thought he was the next Yankees catcher. He was supposed to be the guy. Him and Phil mm-hmm. Hughes were supposed to carry us to Championship 28. Yep. And Ian Kennedy and Jabba Chamberlain. Yeah. Good, the good old days. Uh, it, it is It is going to be interesting, though, to see what they add and what they don't add this offseason with preparations of getting under that number. Uh, the arbitration players that we mentioned, Didi, Sonny Gray, Adam Warren, Chase and Shreve, Canely, Austin Romine, Aaron Hicks, and Dellen Batances. The only one I th- there's two that I think are interesting: Didi and Batances, and they're for totally different reasons. <laughs> Didi, I think the Yankees will be smart or should be smart and sort of lock him up to something. Don't you agree that we like Didi as the shortstop? The Yankees like Didi. Let's let's not go year to year with him. Let's try and sort of get him on a slightly discounted longer term contract. Yeah, I think that's what they should look at. They should absolutely start thinking about the future with Didi because, I mean, I think he, one, has earned it. And and when you look at his play on the field, the Yankees would, you know, if they could look around the the, um, the major leagues and find a, a shortstop that's, that's better on the field, off the field, does everything that he does, you know, there aren't very many of those guys. And he's still, uh, what is he, 25, 26 years old? No, he's 28. Is he 28, really? I thought he was you know, a couple years younger than that. But so even 28, you're, you're still... Right in the prime of your career, I think he deserves a contract. Um, he's done 20, such a tremendous job. Twenty-seven will be twenty-eight uh, okay. on opening day. Yeah, he's turning twenty-eight in February. So yeah, he's definitely a guy that they should they should look at extending. Um, and I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for everybody. Right, but so if they do th- if they go that route, his number will go up. Yes, it will. Which is fine. I don't know what the contract would be, but I think you could sort of reach a. I mean, he's 20, 28 years old. You could reach a five-year deal with him, and I think that everyone would be on board for that. Oh, no doubt about it. He's he's definitely proved that he can be the guy. And, uh, I mean, he if anybody on this team deserves a long-term contract, a, a guy that deserves a bump, it's Didi Gregorius. And it's and uh, maybe some people would be concerned that you're blocking Gleyber Torres, but you can... F- but- you can find other avenues for, for Gleyber Torres. We yeah. like Didi at shortstop. He is an all-star caliber shortstop. You don't just move somebody around because you have a prospect coming up. Gleyber can play second or Gleyber can play third. We, we, there's no guarantees he's going to be better than Didi. There's no, they're not even close to that. No, there's, we, If you have a proven guy in the major leagues, you have to look at that before you look at a, at a prospect. I know everybody's eyes get big when they think of prospects. Uh, and, and the potential of them. Because potential is a great word. It's fun. It's, it's, it's exciting. 
but Didi now is fun and exciting and very good. So, you know, you have, if Gleyber Torres turned out to be what Didi Gregorio is right now, I think everybody would be ecstatic. So oh, right there, you you're mean saying a, you mean a you mean a potential thirty homer, hundred yeah. RBI shortstop. Take that right. That's that's okay. That's that's, that's pretty, pretty decent. That's, let me let me crunch those numbers. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I mean that's that's all you got to look at. Is he the player that you want Gleyber Torres to be? Then okay. Then let's re-sign him and sign him for a, a longer deal. And the other guy I think is interesting is Betances because we all remember the shitstorm that happened with uh, Randy Levine and the arbitration hearing for Dylan Betances' last offseason. I don't expect it to be that this season because Betances is just going to take whatever he gets and then go home because he had a, a really horrendous end of season. I think the interesting thing will be, though, do the Yankees look to trade him? Yeah, he definitely can't say anything this year. This year, is, <laughs> he, uh, he, there was a window of opportunity where he was very good going in, and, and there's uh, no longer that window of opportunity. He was terrible this year. Uh, he had some a couple stretches where he was good, but I mean, horrible at the end of the season. You couldn't even go to him. Um, I I don't think they should even look at trading. I mean, you could look at trading him, but you're not going to get any return on him, and that's a problem because when he's right, he's one of the more dominant guys in the league. But he's just not right right now. So you're trying to sell him at an all time <laughs> low. And if there's one thing that we know about Cashman, he doesn't do that. He does not do that. So, but I, I think a team might look at Dell and Batansis and say he might need a change of scenery because you you see the stuff, you see the success. He's a three time All Star. It's th- not. I mean, he's a, he's not a schlub. Brian he's Cashman amazing, will never turn down in a conversation. I mean, he's gonna look and see what's out there. He'll entertain yeah. it. But I just at the end of the day, do you actually think that someone's going to give up something substantial, or do you keep him on and, and hope that he could just correct it? Because when he does correct it, he's one of the best relievers in the game. Well, is the problem of finding him a role in the bullpen when what happened in September and October of this season, does that create more of a headache for you next season than just trading him for maybe 80 cents on the dollar? I don't I, one, one, I don't think you're getting 80 cents on the dollar. And oh, I think you are. I think you are. I don't I, think you're getting. I don't think you're getting. Why? I think you're getting. Still everybody has. Everybody has why? a guy because now that still can throw 100 cheap, miles an hour. But he's a cheap. He's a cheap op. He's a cheap proven option. I know he didn't prove it in in the last two months of the season this year, but he does have a track record of three seasons of being a dominant reliever. And if and every season he 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 faded at the end of the season, and you might can you could look at Joe Girardi's usage of him and say and point the finger. That's why he struggled at the end of the season. Yeah, be with the new manager. Better be looking at bull, bullpen warm up pitches. Got to have that stat in there. If we're talking about an analytic guy, got to have that one in there because I got to know how many that guy throws because that one is the downfall of Dylan Batances and probably cost him a lot of money. Um, I don't know. I, I say I, I think they should resign him. Uh, I think they can absolutely entertain trades, but unless they get something that that makes a, a ton of sense, um, I mean, I think Cashman's going to sit on it and, and hope that he can regain his form. Someone tweeted me and said, would you do Dylan Batances for Kyle Schwarber straight up this offseason? I mean, that's a joke. <laughs> I said, of course. Well, no shit. There's, <laughs> your, there's your DH. Year, too. Well, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting of the, the both roles because they both stunk this season at the end of the year. All right. I mean, Schwarber actually had a worse year than Batances. Batances had a very, he was an all-star this year. Batances was very good up until September. Right. All we remember is September and October and not even being able to be used in the, in the playoffs. I mean, he fell off the face of the planet. You could not use him. He was Chuck Knobloch on the mound. It was bad. Oh, he was a pile of mush. He like was, he, he, he was he, going to kill somebody who was stepping in the batter's box because the man yep. didn't know where the ball was going after it left his fingers. Deer in headlights. Yeah, it was terrible. I have no idea what Schwarber did this year. Was, oh, he was terrible. Yeah, was yeah terrible. I know he got sent down early in the year. I remember that. 
I'd still take yeah. that trade in a second. Oh, of course I would, and I don't think, and and it, <laughs> and would, it would never be, be entertaining. For the Cubs to do it because Schwarber's a full time player. It would never Schwarber be hit two eleven this year with um, thirty homers. He, he hit thirty homers. So let me. Well, Chris Carter hit forty some home runs in the National League too. But the one thing about the the Cubs and Schwarber is I, I do believe that they're they're going to realize at some point in the near future, if not already, that he doesn't have a position, and that's a big problem for them because he's a terrible left fielder, a terrible fielder, and you can't hide that guy in the National League. So he's a He's an absolutely perfect fit for an American League team. So, you know, I think they should look at him. Uh, they probably should have looked at him uh, a year and a half ago, but they won a World Series, so they're cool well, with that. Well, this is a whole other conversation. We can briefly talk about it now. Do you want the Yankees to bring in a full-time DH like a Kyle Schwarber? We're not saying that Batanza-Schwarber trade would ever happen, but would you want them to get a full-time DH, or would you want them to rotate players into that DH spot, give guys half days off by DHing them? Yeah, we had a mailbag about that, I believe, right? Someone was talking about... Oh, um, did we? Yeah, someone sent that in about the DH. This one's from Ricardo. Uh, he says, uh, regarding the roster for next year, do you think the Yankees should implement a full-time DH or have a revolving door? If the Yankees ink Frazier to a one-year deal, I think it would be better to have a DH spot as the revolving door. Headley Frazier be the full-time DH. Headley could back up Frazier. Uh, Headley could back up Bird, Frazier, um, and can back up Glaber Torres and so on and so forth. One of these things that made the Yankees so appealing that they uh, had they advanced past Houston was that they didn't have a set DH and wouldn't be impacted the the lineup playing versus the Dodgers in the National League. I think the beauty of the 90s, 2000 dynasty was the fact that the lineup was so easily shifted around because all nine in the lineup could field and hit. And I, I think it's a good point because, you know, the way that this team is formed and the, the flexibility that they had this year, I mean, when, when Matt Holiday was gone, because he was the full-time DH, um, there, there was a, you know, that right-handed bat was a problem. That There was no big right-handed bat power uh, that, that could fill in for Holiday at that point. But um, Headley did do a... Personally, I, I think that they should have some guy there, but you don't need to go out and get a big-name guy. Uh, but I would like that guy to have, be able to play the field. Here's the thing. If you're telling me they're bringing in Kyle Schwarber, I would say fine. Right. <laughs> Fill I up think the this... DH spot with that kind of player. Right. But if it's this sort of middle of the road gap sort of player, like another Matt Holiday, then I don't even necessarily want the Yankees to do that. I would much rather see them filter in players. And maybe it is Todd Frazier. And maybe it is where you rotate Frazier to third base and, and Headley to first base and Greg Bird in and out and all that kind of stuff. If that's the plan, that's the plan. But if it's if it's another older player that is can only DH. I don't really see the fit for this team. No, I totally agree. I, I think there's there are some game changers like a Schwarber. Uh, again, first of all, let, let the record say this. That's an unrealistic trade. Probably never ever in a million years going to happen. Um, but but if there were a guy like that 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 is a uh, that could be a prolific hitter um, and could really benefit from from the Yankees could benefit from putting putting him in the uh, DH spot full time. Then yeah. But I agree with you. I don't think that there needs to be an older option that can only DH. Like Carlos if, Beltran uh, of the Worlds are not walking onto this roster right now. If Brian Cashman trades Dylan Batances for Kyle Schwarber this offseason, I will shave my head, put out a bandana, and climb a wall just like Brian Cashman because that's how much of a friggin' magician he is. Yeah, that'd be ridiculous. How big of a wall are we talking here? Because we need to lock this down in case that actually does happen. Ten feet. Ten feet, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> It's not even a freaking wall. It's like a, it's a divider. I'm not, I'm not trying to break legs this offseason. Jesus Christ. It's a the terrible, terrible thing. Um, it's not going to happen, though. No. 
Uh, another big storyline, obviously, is Tanaka's opt-out clause, which will which will get some news on shortly after the World Series because he'll want to get out ahead of it and prep for free agency. We all know what he's making, $22 million a year. If he opts out and the Yankees want to re-sign him, it will be at least for $22 million. I'd say probably $25 million just because he wouldn't opt out if he doesn't. If He's not going to opt out and take the same money. He's going to opt out and get more money. His regular season does not deserve an opt-out, but his playoffs absolutely do. Three starts, he was 2-1, and one, 20 innings pitch, .9 ERA. Only two earned runs given up, 10 hits, 18 strikeouts, only three walks, a 181 batting average against, and here is the best part, zero home runs. Yeah, it's big. He made a huge adjustment. I mean, it's not just the playoffs either. It's down the stretch. It's the second half. He, he pitched very well, and... You know, he can really lean on that, I think, for this opt-out clause and, and take that to the bank literally and to other other teams, you know, who are uh, who are going to circle him. You know, I, I think they'll do an assessment seeing if they if he can make more than if they if they think he can make significantly more money than than 22 million on the open market. And there are teams that are interested and willing to pay him that and uh, a longer term deal to come out, then he will do that. But at the same time, if he does, if he doesn't see that as, as much of an option, I still think he'll sign. He'll opt out. But there could be some kind of a, you know, a backhand, give me a little raise type situation going on with the Yankees too. Like, I'd like to stay here, I'd, but I'm going to opt out, but I'd like to stay here. So let's uh, negotiate something that's not crazy, but a little bit of a bump. I could see that happening. Yeah. He's also got to look at who's also on the open market. He's, he's going to be in free agency with you, Darvis, Jake Arrieta, and potentially Johnny Cueto. All good pitchers, but all pitchers who are slightly on the older side. Darvish is 31, Arietta 32, Cueto is 31. Tanaka is only going to be, I, I, he's going to be 29 years old to start next season. So if he opts out, I think he actually has a case that he is more valuable than those four pitchers. Yeah, but it's a gamble for sure because there are, I mean, those are those are three names that are, that are you know, guys that have been very good. You, Darvish, uh, I don't know, he hasn't been the same guy ever since he got back from that injury. He's still a very effective pitcher. Obviously, he had a terrible outing with the Dodgers in the World Series. Um, Jake Arrieta had a, a step back, uh, and then Johnny Cueto. I don't really know much. The Dodgers or the uh, Giants faded so badly. I don't really know what he did this he year. He had a great season last year and just a pretty mediocre season this year, I believe. So, you know, uh, he, yeah, he might be the he's probably the most effective guy in that in that uh, uh, in that group. It just I don't uh, know if he's the most effective. More? I don't want to say he's the most effective. I would say he's probably the the most valuable because of his age. Although you do have to factor in that he's has that injury. We think it's healthy, but we don't know. I mean, it's healthy. It's healthy. Just look at what he just did. God but, damn. But, I, when is this? I don't get it. I don't understand why people think that he's not healthy. He's healthy. He's healthy. Yeah, it's there. There's something going on there that, that obviously. So if a, you're a team, you're not going to give him. You're not going to give him five years because of you might. He's uh, not getting nervous five years. to give him. Five, I, I think if he opts out, he's going to get five years. Uh, I. I really don't. I really That'll take him to 34 years old. I think he's going to get at least five years if he opts out. Why would he opt out and just sign a three-year contract? He has a three-year contract. That's my point. That's why he has to look around and see if the money's going to be significantly different. I don't think the long, the duration of the contract is going to be significantly different. I think it's going to be the money. If the money is close enough to what he's been doing now, that's when I see him going to Cashman and being like, look, this is a, I'm either leaving and doing this and it's not going to be that much. You're going to lose me for not that much more. Or I'm going to give you the first opportunity to say, okay, let's give me a bump. I'll stay in New York and, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue this out. Maybe another year on top of it. I could see it's that also, happening. 
it's also funny how this all worked out because had Tanaka had a really good regular season, but the Yankees didn't make a deep playoff run and he he opted out, I could see the Yankees just moving on from him. But he ended up not having a good regular season and then being key in the in a deep playoff run. And now he sort of has the Yankees by the balls where he says, you guys want to win a World Series next year. You need me to win a World Series next year. You need the good me to win a World Series next year. <laughs> That's well, you, you're not going to sign up for the bad me. Yeah, so yeah, I'm going to be the good me. You need the good me. The uh, but yeah, he's absolutely right though. And and given the given the landscape of what's going on with the pitchers, I mean, I'm looking at all those guys. I'm like, okay, Tanaka to me at that point is the most attractive option. He knows he knows what it's like to pitch in New York. He's had success in New York. You know what you're getting. That's that's the guy I would I would rather have Tanaka than all three of those other guys. Yeah, if I think I'd, I'd agree. So, because so at that you, point, they all have risks. They all have risks. Darvish also had uh, Tommy John surgery. Arietta has, like you said, taken a big dip down. And I've never really been a huge Cueto fan. I just when you're looking around, if you're looking at one of those guys that you have to sign somebody, like just stick with Tanaka at that point. Otherwise, they're not going to sign somebody big, and they're going to go out and and either you know hopefully they can get CC, which I know we're going to talk about. Uh, to stay and hopefully he's the same guy which is a big if and you know hopefully again there's more hopefully's adding into it that one of the young guys can take another step forward and be that next uh, be that next Jordan Montgomery and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of question marks with this rotation right because the only locks you have are Severino Sonny Gray and Montgomery as the only guys who are definitely on the roster next year you have Tanaka who might not be and you have CeCe who might not be he's a free agent what's a realistic contract for CeCe do you think uh, again, we've circled that that contract that Kuroda got. You know, it's the uh, well, I think Kuroda was at like sixteen like or eighteen. Four, I think it was like fourteen. Uh, whatever. It was the, that in was, the middle that of the teens. A handful of years ago. I think it's a fifteen, sixteen million dollar contract, uh, uh, one year with incentives. I think there's going to be incentives on the deal. Uh, maybe a player option if he hits certain amount of um, innings or you know whatever the incentive is. But I think having that second year as an option for for CC as a player option, I think is uh, is big. Uh, with the Yankees, Kuroda made $10 million in his first year and then signed a one-year $15 million and then a one-year $16 million. There you go. So, yeah, one-year $15 million for CC, I think, is is realistic. And, and it, I think I think he would do that. I think for a number of different reasons, he doesn't want to go to a different team. He has roots here. He wants to stay with the Yankees. He is a clubhouse leader. It makes sense for both sides for one year. And if he, if he gets injured or if he's bad, then you just move on after the end of the year. But... But for 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 a number of different reasons for the Yankees, he's good insurance and he's he's good upside. He's good upside. He's obviously uh, has a real connection with a lot of the guys here. And if you're changing managers, you really don't want to disrupt too much. Um, that that worries me with the amount of disruption that could happen in this clubhouse. Uh, so so guys like CC, I think, are still you know who want to be back. I think it's imperative that they bring him back. And I I I mean I fully expect this to happen. There's. There's really a lot of the, there's not much doubt in my mind that the two of these uh, parties will make it happen. So um, Tanaka is the real the real question mark. It's a real and it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm interested in, this might be a more of a conversation for spring training, but do they give Chad Green a shot at the rotation? Yeah, it's super interesting uh, because you look at the Luis Severino model of, of what happened with him in the when he was in the bullpen and, and really was able to. Um, get through with two pitches, and you're seeing what Chad Green did with two pitches. Uh, can he add and and you know be consistent with a, another pitch? 
and have effective uh, and be effective out of the rotation. I think it's definitely something they need to look at because um, they have a lot of depth in that in that bullpen right now. And while Chad Green is a, is a very important part of the bullpen, there's no doubt about it. You know, he could be a very important part of your rotation if he could actually make that transition. And I, he's definitely got the stuff. Um, he's been a starter before, so he knows what it takes. It's he was competing of, for that fifth starter yeah, he spot was. last spring training. Yeah, and I think it's it's imperative that he he develop another pitch, though. I think that's one of the big consistency um, issues you'll see with him. If 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 he does have another pitch, and um, you know he can't make it consistent, similar to what we saw with Severino, then he's not going to last. You know, two three times through a, uh, through a lineup. But if he can do that, if he's a guy that can make those adjustments, he's got the stuff. There's no doubt about it. I think a lot of it also depends on what they do in free agency. If they bring back Tanaka and bring back Sabathia, then you don't really have a need for Chad Green in the rotation, at least to start the season, assuming everyone's healthy. But if you don't have both of those guys, then you have two rotation spots to fill. And you might be looking at Chad Green as a potential number four, number five starter. Yeah, that, that's it's a huge it's a huge deal and fully dependent on scary, what happens. Which is kind of scary. I mean, we all love Chad Green, but we don't know if he can be a, a, a regular starter. No, it's it's scary, I mean, just, just it's because he starts the game. Be, just because he starts man. the game, we know uh, uh, a starter. What, what did Brian Kenny call him? He called them an a, opener. Uh, an opener, yeah. The opener. So maybe we have four starters and an opener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe who knows? Uh, maybe we're gonna get some guy in that loves openers. Maybe the new analytic guy that Brian Cashman loves so much is an, is a, a guy that that bullpens and loves openers. Nobody's oh. the the New York media is not allowed to call them starters any longer. They're all openers. Do you realize that if you went a full 162-game schedule bullpenning, how long the games would take? We'd be up until midnight every night watching Yankees baseball. Yeah, that's a problem for what baseball wants with us with time of play. Nine-hour games. Pace of play. Pace of, pace play. of play. Pace of play. Um, all right, so good stuff. A lot of stuff to look forward to. Next time we talk in a week from now, who knows? The Yankees might have a new manager. If they hire him, if the World Series ends soon, and they make a hire, and, and it's before next Monday. Obviously, we'll jump on for some breaking news podcasts, but um, it's just like we said uh, at the end of last week. It's going to be a busy off season. Lots of stuff to handle, man. There's going to be a lot of a lot of moving parts with this team, especially with a new manager. I mean, who knows what he brings in too? There's just there's just so many uh, things that are unknown right now. It's uh, it's it's uh, anxiety and, and excitement all at the same time. Uh, one last thing, guys. Submit mailbag questions to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And you can also tweet us questions and tweet us whatever. Follow us at Yankees Podcast, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. We will talk to you guys in a week. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.